Okay, well let's, let's go ahead and get going today. Um, uh, let's see here. Come on, there we go. Okay. So we finally, after all this time, uh, we're now in March, it's taken us all this time to get Joseph and Emma to Harmony. And uh, they and why was it they had to go to Harmony? <laughs> so they could translate. Why couldn't they do that in Palmyra? Yeah, there, it was it was the lack of harmony. <laughs> okay, there was no harmony in Palmyra, so they have to go to Pennsylvania uh, to find some sense of harmony enough so they can start translating. Uh, remember, Joseph will um, he gets the plates uh, finally from from Moroni in September 1827. Uh, they will be in harmony uh, a couple of months later. Uh, once they get up there, though, uh, Joseph begins to play around with the plates. He knows he's supposed to be doing something with the plates. He's not quite sure because he doesn't know what the language is. That's the problem. Because the, uh, Moroni told him that what was the language on the plates? No, he didn't. That's one of the interesting things about this. He didn't say. He said that the language, it is the record of who? The former inhabitants of this, of this nation, or the continent, okay? Who would be the former inhabitants of this land? The Indians. The Indians. <clears throat> that plays heavily in this. Now, it's fascinating to me that for months and months, Joseph will believe that he has an Indian record in front of him. Now, as he starts to, uh, by February of 1828, he will start to do a little translation using the seer stones. And he starts to have, uh, and he starts looking in there and he's seeing a translation showing up as he looks in the seer stones. But he's not quite sure that he's translating it correctly. How does he know? Because he doesn't know Native American. <laughs> That's his problem. Now, let me ask you this though, before we even start this, <clears throat> and before we actually send Martin Harris off to New York to find a na someone who understands Native American and can translate, why wouldn't Moroni just say to him, by the way it's Reformed Egyptian and there's not a single person on the planet that can read this, other than you through the seer stones? Did Moroni do that? Never. Why did what, any guesses as to why Moroni wouldn't do that? Seems like a struggle. I'm thinking he wanted to test his faith and have him ask. Maybe a test of faith. Okay. Ask for the help. Yeah. So he's going to have to ask. Well, I think it was important for Arm Harris to go to that. Why? Well, now, now you're, and that's kind of where my brain starts to go. <laughs> By not knowing, then he's going to send Martin Harris off to New York. We're going to talk about that in a second. And Martin Harris is going to run around like a crazy man for about uh, a month. Because a prophecy needs to be fulfilled. There was a prophecy that would be fulfilled that says he, it was going to happen. Yeah, but he hasn't read that. <laughs> oh, I hadn't got to that part in Isaiah. Yes. 
yeah. You don't have to know that they're gonna happen before they happen. Um, but if he already knew that there was no one that could help him, yeah. he wouldn't have gone out and asked people for help. Right. Or for verification. Right. The prophecy would not have been fulfilled because he wouldn't have it wouldn't have been it would have been contrived instead of being Okay, so it had been predicted that it was going to happen. Cindy? I think there's a certain value that a lot of us will appreciate, and that is making your brain think. Yes. You're just told what you need to do all the time. And isn't there an application here that the Lord at times, even though he could give us the immediate answer, there is some value in having to struggle with and walk through and battle it and what we learn along the way. And then also, by doing that, there was... Yes. Right. Yeah, and and who is it most valuable for, by the way? How many people were there in this area that were going to be able to get their hands on the, the money to publish the Book of Mormon and have the willingness and the belief in Joseph Smith to actually do that? We start to, we start to talk about maybe two, maybe three people that would be willing to, to do that and it might have just been Martin Harris. This was important to Martin Harris as well as Joseph understanding the process, but this was critical to Martin Harris. Remember that in, uh, early in the process, uh, we think early 1827, Joseph will see Martin Harris, I think he's done some work for Martin Harris on his farm. He sees Martin Harris in vision and, and, has a, and directed by the Lord to go draw Martin Harris into the program. He puts Mama Smith, Lucy Mack Smith, in a wagon. She travels up to Martin Harris's farm, which is just north of downtown Palmyra, um, and says, uh, Joseph wants to talk to you. He wants you to be part of this. And, and Martin Harris is finishing up his house. He's working on the fireplace when they show up. Working on it. Okay, uh, I want to do that. He's going to come down. He's going to get involved. Uh, Mrs. Harris, and we'll talk about her a number of times today, um, actually offers the first money towards the translation process. She offers 50 bucks. Uh, Lucy Mack turns it down, says, no, that's not how this is going to work. Uh, Martin Harris goes down, becomes interested in the entire project. Um, and then when Joseph and um, Emma move to down to Harmony, uh, Martin Harris will, will say later that he had a dream where the Lord came to him in the dream and says it's your job to help Martin or to help Joseph with the translation. In a sense, I almost keep picturing Joseph as like, anybody ever run track and run uh, like a relay race with a baton? Joseph is like the baton. <laughs> You know, and all the way along this, the growth of this boy to prophethood, there's going to be a Martin Harris that's going to be there. And then Joseph will get handed off to Oliver Cowdery. 
and Oliver Cowdery will hand this off to Sidney Rigdon <laughs> and Sidney Rigdon will hand it off to people like Frederick G. Williams and they will hand it off to people like Parley Pratt and they will hand it off to Brigham Young and it's like this thing gets moved along and people come into his life at critical moments to help move the project forward and then they kind of step back a bit and the next person is there waiting to haul Joseph forward. Well this is Martin Harris's time. So Martin Harris, and that house is still there. You can park outside the parking lot there and see Martin Harris's house. Okay, so Martin Harris heads down to Harmony, Pennsylvania, and he says, I think the Lord wants me to go to help you some way. And what does Joseph tell him? What's Joseph's big idea at the moment? What language is the, the plates in to Joseph? Indian. What, what do I need? I need to know, I need somebody that can translate this for us. I'm an unlearned kid, I don't know this stuff, and, and I, I, I entitled this class, Joseph's Words to Martin Harris, which was that. Get them translated. <laughs> Go off to find these people, whoever they are, who can translate these records for us because the Lord told me I have to have them translated. That's what I need. So Martin Harris goes, okay, I'll do that, but I need something in hand. So Joseph will translate, will, will copy down some of the characters. Then he will do a line of characters and have the translation underneath it. So what Martin Harris is carrying around is a page that is half characters and then have characters with a translation underneath. Okay, We don't have that document. We, we really don't. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, but, but now, he's going to now uh, make his way uh, to what, is, what uh, one BYU professor called the three wise men. Okay? Um, Martin Harrison. Where did the Harrison come from? Hey, it must have been late. Martin Harris on his deathbed says, I went at, by the request of Joseph Smith to the city of New York and presented the transcript of the records of the Book of Mormon to Professor Anthon and Dr. Mitchell and asked them to translate it. Okay, so let's 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 take these guys in order. Let's who who did he go to? And there's a copy of one set of the characters that we have. We think this was given to David Whitmer uh, at one point, but this is not what has been called the Anthon manuscript. But that's what the characters look like on the plates. So the first thing that Joseph will do is that he's going to go from from uh, Harmony, and I, I should have had a map of this. He's going to go from Harmony and he's going to make his way up to Albany, New York. In Albany is a family friend by the name of Luther Bradish. Uh, the Bradishes and the Harrises go back a couple of generations. Family friend. Uh, Luther Bradish is a um, He's a New York State Assemblyman and he's in Albany because he's part of the state government. 
He is actually originally from Palmyra and in fact his mother lives in Palmyra and that's going to play an important role in just a few minutes that his mother lives in, in Palmyra. Okay, So he's a New York State uh, Assemblyman. He is a friend of the Harris family. He has a knowledge of the Middle East because he actually goes to, to Constantinople. He goes to Istanbul under the direction of John Quincy Adams at the time that Thomas Jefferson was fighting the Barbary Coast pirates. Okay, from the shores of Tripoli that the, that the, is that. We were fighting, fighting the Barbary Coast pirates and to try and mediate that, uh, John Quincy Adams, who's like the Secretary of State at that time, sent Luther Bradish off to uh, Istanbul, Constantinople, to try and get the, the Sultan in Istanbul to, to chill out, to quit attacking our American uh, ships in the shipping back and forth in the Mediterranean. Okay? Probably more history than you really wanted to know, but that Luther Bradish is a dude. <laughs> Let me just say that. He's a guy and he's good and he knows people. Now he also was a literary publisher. Put that in the back of your head. He publishes books. And he has just published a book called The Last of the Mohicans. What's Joseph looking for? Indians. The last of the Mohicans. He's just published and he's in the publishing business. Ultimately when you get the book translated, what comes next? You've got to publish it. I think that's one of the reasons why Martin Harris went to Albany first. Because he knew a publisher. Now, it is suspected, the, the speculation is that when, Joe, when Martin Harris starts showing the, the lost pages to too many people, it says that he showed it to a very important person in Palmyra breaking his oath, that he's only supposed to show it to five. The sixth one is a very important person. And there's some speculation among BYU scholars that that sixth person was Luther Bradish, who might know Indian, uh, and was a publisher, okay, and had a mom that was sick in Palmyra and visited Palmyra at the time that jo that Martin Harris had the manuscript in Palmyra, okay. All right. Now he's going to send. What he's going to do though? He said, "Oh, you need you need someone to translate." Indian language. Let me send you to the celebrated Samuel Mitchell. And that's how they would refer to him, the celebrated Samuel Mitchell. Samuel Mitchell uh, is he's the vice president of Rutgers at this moment. So Martin Harris is going to go down and sit down to Rutgers. Interesting, he has 30 years of research he knows the Mohawk language. He can speak Mohawk. He actually helped negotiate with the Mohawks the, the sale of a bunch of land in northern New York. He's, and he really is a dude. Um, uh, this is a guy, he believed, he believed that ancient peoples from Europe and Asia had settled the Americas. He's gathering information on this, okay? Uh, that he believed that before the Mohawks, there were other people that had come here earlier, okay? Um, now, 
He was actually helping another professor by the name of Charles Anthon collect Indian stories for a book. The problem is, is that this, this Charles Anthon, who's about 31, is slow as molasses in publishing. He's just meticulous. He's like obsessive compulsive and he just, his, his publisher on the book just keeps going, we can publish it now. No, I need more, I need more, I need more. So uh, this, he's, he's kind of, he knows, Samuel Mitchell knows that Charles Anthon, who knows Greek and uh, Latin, is collecting Indian stories. But while he's talking to Samuel Mitchell, Samuel Mitchell pulls out a stamp that he might have gotten from Luther Bradish that's in Turkish. And he starts looking at it and he's comparing the characters and he goes, you know, these are kind of looking more Middle Eastern than they are looking. It's not Mohawk, I can tell you that. It looks more Middle Eastern. I don't know. Why don't you go talk to Charles Anthon because I don't have any answers for you. So he says, fine, I'll go talk to Charles Anthon, and he sends Martin Harris with a letter to present to Charles Anthon, um, and off he goes. So then we have Charles Anthon. Charles Anthon, who fulfilled the prophecy and spent the rest of his life going, no I didn't, I promise I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. He's lying, it's not true, it was all a farce. He's at Columbia. He knows Greek and Latin. He can't, he doesn't understand Hebrew, Middle Eastern languages at all. He's collecting Indian stories. Okay? He's working hard. He's slow as molasses. Now, he is forever horrified though that Mormon missionaries are going to use his encounter with, more, with uh, Martin Harrison missionary work. He is going to say, I can't read a sealed book. He does say that. He does tear up the, the certificate of authenticity, which is so dumb because he doesn't know whether, he wouldn't know Hebrew if it hit him in the face. He knows Greek, he knows Latin, he can understand the language, but, or see, understand Hebrew and, and Egyptian, but he doesn't have any way of translating it, can't figure it out. Uh, the Rosetta Stone that will enable people to translate isn't going to be found until 1822, and it certainly has not made its way yet to upstate New York. There's nobody at that moment, and, not, and this is, and now they're looking at reformed Egyptians, so even the Rosetta Stone is not going to help with this. So because of his lack of knowledge, would Anton, the, that, that letter really have not had as much value? It really wouldn't. Other than it had value for who? Martin Harris. This whole exercise appears to be mostly about Martin Harris because we're going to need him to believe in this uh, enough and help the process going uh, and then be able to put up the money to publish the Book of Mormon. But this is helpful to Martin Harris. Okay? Alright. So, after all this time then um he saw, he saw nothing but kind of foolishness in the characters that Martin Harris was carrying, but he says, it's not Indian. Okay, so, here's the question. Again, why didn't Moroni tell Joseph the plates were written on Reformed Egyptian and no one on the entire planet would be able to read it? <coughs> Wouldn't it have saved them months in the process? Well, maybe Moroni Mar was trying to get back to Joseph because the whole 
I will get even with you. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, I think he also wanted Joseph to know there was no other way to get this done but through the Lord. Yes. Because he, his automatic first response was not, "Okay, help me do it." It was. I'm I'm an unlearned school. I, I I don't know that much. Uh, I need to find somebody that can translate this stuff because it isn't me. Now, couldn't again? Couldn't Moroni have told him earlier? Nobody can read it, and you will be the one doing the translating. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he didn't tell him that either. What does this tell us sometimes about our own spiritual searches? By the way. Yes, they can be windy. Is there value in the search? Yes. It compares to, to kids that grow up having everything handed to them on the platter. Yes. They don't appreciate it. Yeah. It means more to us. There's value in the search, which kind of goes counter sometimes to saying we want answers quickly. We want the sitcom answers, which we want all of our all of our problems resolved in about thirty minutes. Mm -hmm. Even with commercial breaks, we want it done it's quickly. It's twenty-two minutes. <laughs> we want yeah, we want to go to the Google and thumb them and just get it right now. Okay. At, but there is value in the search. And the other thing is, it's not only Joseph to know, have to go to the Lord, it's for us to know that that's the only way he could have done it too, so we have to know that Oh, is there value? See, see, the funny thing is, she says, is there value in us knowing what Joseph had to go through? And even, even watching Joseph struggle and realizing what he didn't know, and knowing that the only way that we have the Book of Mormon these days is how? To the gift and power of God. Period. So you know. Yes. It is funny though when I when I when I'm listening to, to podcast or reading stuff online, the absolute gymnastics that people that are attacking the church have to go through to try and pair this Joseph with no other manuscripts around him, with his head in a hat producing the Book of Mormon. And I'm hearing every, everything from hypnosis and altered states to uh, this elaborate uh, conspiracy by about 20 people, half of which left the church and never told, the, told on the conspiracy. You know, there's just this fantastic things out of control because they can't, at the end of it, the one answer they don't want to look at, you know, like Sherlock Holmes used to say, when you eliminate all the other variables, the one that is left is the one is the most possible most probable no, no matter what you might think of it the one they don't want to go to is it might have been God <laughs> it just might have been God yeah Scott there was a really awesome conference talk God's compelling witness the Book of Mormon had our Callister where he yeah. talks about if Joseph wrote this and created it of his own accord and then it goes through an, a really excellent diatribe of that he had to know this and this and this. And his wife said he couldn't even compose a simple letter without Yeah. You know, and you expect that he wrote this book. In, in 70 days. It is phenomenal. I put it out on my Facebook page because I 
I used to work with people that a lot of were students at the Baptist Seminary, and you know, one of them's like, I was finding out she was saying all sorts of crud about the church. Like, yeah, Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon. So I put it out on my Facebook page recently, and I said, for everybody who believes Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon, this is what the LDS Church gives you the, the lowdown on that. Yeah. They'll, they'll read it and say, oh, wow. Oh, I, I wouldn't. This. He was only what? How old was he when he was Yeah, 21. 21 and uneducated. And yeah, so. yeah, crazy, isn't it? Okay, so... Moroni didn't tell Joseph that he would need, need to be, uh, be the, do the translating. And this ought to, when I ask, you know, what do we learn about how and when and why God revealed knowledge to Joseph Smith? Again, one of the reasons we have gone through the history as, as kind of painstakingly as we're doing this, I need you to see the miracles. All the way along, there is no way this boy could have done this. And the more I understand Joseph, again, the greater miracle this becomes. So, all right. So here's the last question then. What does this suggest about all prophets, or is this just peculiar to Joseph Smith? I think about, you know, today, President Nelson, he's pretty educated. Yeah. He's, you know, all those little factoids you didn't know about President Nelson. I mean, he has been around the world. He has been an MD. He has performed some yeah. serious miraculous surgeries compared to Joseph Smith's lack of education but President Nelson is still when I this, this shouldn't sound like a bad bad mouthing but the fact is compared to what God knows he still knows very little yeah and in this world of today it is so complicated mm -hmm. things are so much more complicated now than 40 years ago I well mean, sure it's, it's very now for, they still have the spirit of the Lord they still have inspiration and that's how they work. when you look at the doctrine and covenants today do you know what the doctrine and covenants is it's a book of answers <laughs> it's a book of answers to what <laughs> questions the Book of Mor the Doctrine and Covenants is a list of qu they we got not why how do we get revelation why do we get revelation yeah. in answer to a question and it doesn't matter whether it's on our level or whether it's on the prophet level revelations come in re in response to a question. I think with each prophet there's their own miraculous change. It's a miracle. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Let me give you an example, though. Wouldn't it have been easier in terms of our missionary work now if somewhere about, I don't know, 1920, the Lord might have said to Heber J. Grant. There's no reason that blacks can't have the priesthood. It's a policy, not a doctrine. Change it. And Heber J. Grant would have went, okay, awesome, love that, we'll do it. Wouldn't that have been, wouldn't that have been, wouldn't that jump-started everything in Africa? Wouldn't it have uh, made things easier for us during the civil rights stuff if, if that was already in place? 
Wouldn't it have been easier? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that was, uh, that's right. But that wouldn't that made us progress it? You're thinking that might have caused more problems, and it might have. The, 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 isn't our actual answer to that is we have no, no, we have, we have no, no, not, we have, we have no clue. And how did President Kimball come to get that revelation? Prayer and asking and prayer and asking and prayer and asking. It still came in response to a question for years. Yeah. You know, the Lord, He knows the timing. He has the plan. He knows how it will. So it's His, it's his plan. Right. But it's still, even though it's the Lord's timing, it still requires what? Asking. And that's why I think the beauty of watching this process is that Moroni is not giving Joseph Smith the answers. Joseph is developed when Joseph is walking when Joseph is in the grove with the father and the son, they're not saying to you, by the way, there will be a church and a temple and work for the dead and uh, it, it's unfolding at the rate and speed that everybody's able, but it still came in, in conjunction with a question. It's tied to asking because it's tied to agency. And asking you shall receive. It's, yeah. It must be based on our agency because he allows that. Yeah. So our agency is involved because we're generally we're asking when we have a problem, right? A problem has arisen, so we have a question, so we get an answer. And that certainly happened in the process of the church. Each time Joseph would ask a question, the Lord would give an answer, but it was coming because there was a problem he was trying to solve. As a parent to a child. As a parent to a child. Well, evidently Joseph Smith didn't ask the Lord. <coughs> <laughs> oh, she, yes, there we go. She, she said, evidently Joseph didn't ask the Lord. What would that, what if he had said, wait a minute, Moroni, before you go, who's doing the translating? <laughs> what kind of language? Oh, by the way, wow, this is really cool. I've been, I've been, I've been reading this. What language is this? Apparently, Joseph didn't ask. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I didn't even think of that. That's awesome. Uneducated that he couldn't even come. He wouldn't even get to that point of going, obviously, I don't know nothing, so I need to get him translated. <laughs> okay, yeah. That was all I said. <laughs> oh, I like you know. I had not thought about the fact Joseph wasn't asking because, although in, in all fairness to Joseph Smith, in all fairness to Joseph Smith, I always feel a little bad, bit bad when people are going through the temple preparation courses, getting ready to go to the temple. They don't know what questions to ask. No. What what don't I know? Well, I'm not supposed to tell you. Well, how do I know what questions to ask? Well, <laughs> you'll know when you get there. Really? Okay. <laughs> Now, that's when the next class should happen is after, and I've repeatedly always said this, the next class should come after they come back, they'll go, now I got questions, <laughs> and now we can have a discussion. Yeah, yeah, we got yes, 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 yes. That's the way we, all of us learn everything. Yeah. All of us are kind of like at the border of the light, and we're stepping out, and until we step out, we don't see or feel or experience enough to even ask the question. That's right. But, but what we do, we may not know the answers, but what do we know? Questions. Our questions. And the questions arise from our problems. I don't know how to solve this thing here. Okay, then I will ask. And sometimes, like Joseph might have assumed, well, obviously I'm not the translator. But they were going around that, seeing if it was anything. 
Yeah, well, he's going to send them off to people to find Indian language because they'll know I don't. There's no way that I will, I have these seer stones. You know what my seer stones are really good for? Finding things. They are really good at finding things, and I and these seer stones will work for finding things. And by the way, I got these Nephite interpreters. They're good at finding things too. But he also wasn't trusting the Lord that he was No, he wasn't trusting the Lord. Okay, yeah, you get the, the the thing that that I love about this process. Look how human Joseph is, and look how much he is like us in this process. Yeah. Also, when he went to the seer stones, so. Like trying to figure out his own way, like the brother of Jared getting the white rocks. Yeah. He knew it was a means that he understood and it worked for him. Okay? All right. Scott? Um, I was at BYU. There was a, a man that taught a class to people who wanted to become seminary teachers as their job out of college. And yeah. And one of the things he made a point of repeating was how do you know when they're ready to learn is when they're asking questions. Yeah. And I've told my kids things that I wanted them to know before they asked the question. And then later on they asked me the very question that I answered six months or a year. Yeah. But now they're ready to they're now they're ready to hear it. Yeah, hey dad, how did yeah. <laughs> okay, I want you to see kind of how this works. Yeah? Answer to your question about what that tells us about prophets. I know you said that our theology is not our theology. Yeah. Yes. The lineage of prophets. It is. It's important that we have a testimony of Joseph Smith because it's how we learn how this thing goes. And sometimes, again, I think we make it too simplistic and say, I believe Joseph Smith was a prophet and we don't go from there. I believe that the Book of Mormon is true and we don't go from there. Rather than say, I believe was that Joseph Smith was a, was a flawed human guy that the Lord lifted way above himself to do extraordinary things. That's the testimony I have of this man. Okay? Yeah. Is like, oh my goodness, he's perfect. Or yeah. Like, terrifying because he's so amazing. And then he becomes the guy in the store when you're. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 30s and 40s, and then when you're in your 60s, he may be younger than you. And you're like, dude, he's a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Our bishops keep getting younger. It's just odd. Okay. So, so imagine probably somewhere. Joseph Smith, look at the timing on this. This is 2 Nephi 27. And he will not translate this till near the end. This is near the end of the translation process in 2 Nephi 27. Uh, 15, and it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall say unto him to whom he shall deliver the book. Who's the him? Joseph. Joseph. Uh, take these words that are, are not sealed and deliver them to another. Who's the another? Charles Anthony. No? Martin, Martin Harris. Okay. Take it to Martin Harris. That Martin Harris shall show them unto the learned. The Luther Bradish, Samuel Mitchell, Charles Anthon. Saying, read this, I pray thee. And, he's, and we can say, translate this, I pray thee. 
I'm doing this on behalf of a boy who, who didn't finish high school uh, and we need these translated because uh, it's kind of important. This Indian language here. Okay? And the learned shall say, bring it and I will read it. Nope, can't do it. And now because of the glory of the world and to get gain, they will say this. What was Charles Anthon doing? Writing a book. He wanted the place to add to his, so he could sell the book. For gain. This is, this is very specific, Second Nephi. Okay? Um, for the glory of the world and to get gain, they will say this, and not for the glory of God. And the man shall say, Martin Harris, I cannot bring the book, it is sealed. And, and uh, they will say, we cannot read it. Therefore, it shall come to pass that the Lord God will deliver again the book and the words thereof to him that is not learned, Joseph Smith, which is ironic that by the time he's getting this, he has already translated the majority of the Book of Mormon. But, uh, that is not learned, and Joseph Smith, that is not learned, shall say, I'm not learned. <laughs> then, and there's the word, verse 20, then shall God say unto him, the learned shall not read them, for they have rejected it, and I am able to do mine own work. Therefore, Joseph, thou shalt read the words which I shall give unto thee. So the timing of that verse is critical. After the, the Nephi is seen in vision that Joseph will send it to the learned people, they will not be able to read it, and only then will Joseph understood Understand, he is the translator and no one else through the gift and power of God. And that's the other reason why they had to do it. Because yeah, well, because Nephi had already predicted it, yes, in 600 A.D. or B.C. Which proves again that Joseph had pure intent to do what was right. He didn't go in the, uh, into the woods to determine that he's going to start his own church. No. Determined that he's going to write this. He went to the learned. So it shows his purity. He just, yeah, it is his purity. I just want, I'm trying to t do what the Lord told me to do, but I'm maybe not asking the questions, which is inconceivable to me that I might be the translator. It never entered his mind. No, it didn't. I'm, I'm an idiot. What do I know? <laughs> yeah, so, so and, and Nephi's seeing this whole process. I think it just, I, I, I think it, I, I just love this. Anyway, okay. Alright, so, uh, As, uh, as Gandalf would say in Lord of the Rings, and thus it begins. <laughs> okay, now, we're going to start off then, and we're going to be translating. The, the first book they're going to translate is called what? The Book of Lehi. Because Martin Harris is going to come back from New York. He's going to come, and about four people are going to begin to assist Joseph now that he understands he's the translator. About four people are going to help him with some level of translation for the next 70 days. Um, now, we will always say, because 
it, it's kind of been canonized that we lost 116 pages of manuscript. This book of Lehi filled 116 manuscript pages because that's what Martin Harris lost, right? Um, no. Uh, apparently Martin Harris had bought uh, a, a package of paper of almost 200 pages and they used almost all of them. It's far more than 116 pages. Joseph is using the term 116 pages because that's about what page they were on the, uh, in the book. But in terms of manuscript pages, uh, almost 200 pages, it was a massive thing that they had done. Okay. Now, about 70 days from early April to early June. And that's about what it's getting. This is 1828. 1829, when Oliver Cowdery's doing this, it'll be about the same period of time, about 70 days. Okay. Um, four people helped, mostly Martin Harris. We think that uh, Emma, in fact, we know that Emma did uh, some part of the book of Lehi. Uh, do you know how we know that, by the way? Trivia thing. At one point, near, on her deathbed, uh, she, they're, they're, gonna, they're, they're interviewing Emma, and she's dying, and they're saying, you sure that Joseph didn't translate from a document or something? She said, no, he didn't have anything else there. He couldn't even write his own name. Okay, Right. Then she says, at one point, Joseph looks at me, and he's translating that the, the brothers hid outside the walls of Jerusalem. Outside the walls of Jerusalem. And she says, Joseph then puts the thing down and goes, I didn't know Jerusalem had walls. <laughs> she says, yeah, they do. Well, that's interesting. I never knew that Jerusalem had walls. <laughs> and off they go. Okay? We, we have that original document of writing down uh, that the brothers stood outside the walls of Jerusalem. And it's not in Emma's handwriting, it's in Oliver Cowdery's. She's get, when she talks about, he, he read about the walls of Jerusalem, he's reading from the book of Lehi. Not, that's when Emma is translating early 1828. Okay, She's also about seven months pregnant. She's not going very far, very fast, so I might as well sit here and translate with you. Okay. Um, we think actually her brother Alva helped a little bit as well. Yeah. So Lehi kept his record until he died. So his book was off. Le Lehi wrote on the small plates the same as everything. The book of Lehi is Mormon's translation oh. of Lehi's family. Oh, okay. This is the part that's going to be lost. Remember? And then we're going to have to. Well, then we'll move to the small plates when this is lost. I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. Mormon had had done the the, the uh, abridgment even of all of this. Oh. Okay. Uh, would you like to know what's on the book of Lehi? Oh, I have some. Back. I forgot. Oh, I may have some things on that. I'm glad you asked. What is it that they're translating? And by the way, next week I'm going to talk a little bit more about the translation process. And we talk about Oliver Cowdery. Uh, President Jones has some interesting information that he's going to. You'll be here next week? Good. You can share with us a little bit how we know about the translation process. That's next week. I wouldn't miss it. Because we have a document source that I have not seen anywhere else on the translation process. How's that for teasing good enough? Okay. Yeah, I, I looked, President. I couldn't find that anywhere else. Okay. 
Possible content. There are two possible sources that we have for what might have been on this 200 pages uh, that, is, that was lost to us that was Mormon's uh, abridgment of, of Lehi's family all the way up to King Benjamin. Okay, One is uh, Martin Harris's brother Emer, or Emmer, uh, gave some interviews about what Martin Harris had told him was on the, what he had seen while he was translating for two months. Another one is uh, Joseph Smith Sr. gave an interview in 1830 uh, to a man by the name of Fayette Latham. Where he's and Fayette Latham, Latham wrote a lot down about what Joseph Smith Sr. was telling him. Don't know. It's hard to know how much of this is true. This is just what from two interviews. What they said was on this page. These pages that they're they're looking at. One of them was I thought it was interesting that you ever has it ever occurred to you why it is that Laban is out drinking with the elders late at night but he's hauling his sword around and his armor that seemed like let's go to the bar let me put on my armor and a sword <laughs> that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense does it part of what comes out in these interviews was a suggestion that it was a it was a holiday it was a holy day celebration and that they were dressed up in their finery for the celebration that's why he had the armor and the sword Okay. Uh, the Liahona had characters that the spindles pointed to. Uh, for instance, th they think that the Liahona had uh, symbols like um, journeying and food and, and things like that. And the one spindle would send you in the direction that you need to go and the other spindle would roll over to the character and tell you what exactly is out there. If it's what, for instance, let's say that uh, the spindle points to food and, or game and go that direction. Well, now you don't break down all the tents and pack up the whole family and all go like you're going on a journey. You're just like, well, let's send out the hunters and they'll go and they'll come back. Now, if it says, if, it's gonna, if the spindle's going to point to uh, we're on our way to the promised land, <laughs> go there. Now you do pack up all the tents and stuff like that and move forward. Does that make sense? Okay. That was one of the things that's alluded to. Uh, Mosiah 1, King Benjamin's father. Almost like a Moses Iha. Makes this, we know he makes this great trek out of the land of Nephi down from the highlands down into the lowlands down into Zarahemla where uh, Zarahemla lives and the Mulekites are. Remember that? Okay. There's a sense that this is a great, this is seen in the book of Lehi as this great Exodus-like trek going from up here and that Moses is leading them, there are miracles in the wilderness, that they go to a mountaintop experience. All of that is kind of suggested in these interviews, which I think is kind of fascinating. Um, that Moses one built a portable tabernacle in the wilderness and that they worshiped with it. Okay, Which also makes me wonder, and this is just Where's my speculation spot? I need speculation. Okay. <laughs> Moses Iha. Messiah one, King Benjamin's father. 
apparently built a portable tabernacle, according to these interviews, in the wilderness while they were traveling from the land of Nephi down into Zarahemla. They were a temple building, temple worshiping people. And they had a temple in the land of Nephi, and they would build a temple in Zarahemla, but in between the two, they had a portable tabernacle like Moses did, that they would worship in. Which makes me wonder, you know that obscure, the sh one of the shortest verses in the Book of Mormon is what? My father dwelt in a tent. What if we got that word wrong? What if it isn't dwelt? What if it's worshipped? What if, what if part of what stirred up Laman and Lemuel so much was not just the fact that Lehi was worshiping in a, that he had an altar that he was sacrificing on, that we have in the Book of Mormon, but that the tent was actually a tabernacle. And that Mosiah, one, believed that he could do that because he was reading the records of Lehi who had done something similar. That would make plenty of sense to me. Why? Didn't they have a temple in Jerusalem? Yeah. What had just happened to the temple in Jerusalem? This is, and this is added history, by the way. It happens at the time Lehi's family leaves at the time of Zedekiah. What had just happened to the temple in Jerusalem at the time of Zedekiah? Nebuchadnezzar had just sacked it and destroyed it and hauled off the... the um, the loot. Yeah, all the treasures. Furniture. Okay, so it could have been very possible that Lehi said, no, nope, the temple's kind of gone, we can build a tabernacle in the wilderness. And I suspect, that's my speculation, I think he did it. And I also think that Mo Moses 1 is copying that. Anyway, that's what's alluded to in the interviews. And also in this journeying, they find the Nephite interpreters that Joseph Smith will ultimately have. That he will have these, he will take it into the, the, the interview with uh, Joseph Smith Sr. says that Moses, Mosiah 1 had the, these Jaredite interpreters, he didn't know what to do with them, and he walks into his portable tabernacle and God says to him, what is that in your hand? And he says, I don't know. And he says, these are interpreters for translating scripture. Oh! That's what came out of that interview. I think that's kind of fascinating. Because isn't it interesting that in the, in the Book of Mormon, who had, who's the first one we know that has interpreters other than the brother of Jared, which is what these were? King Mosiah, right? Because King Mosiah is going to translate the 24 gold plates that Limhi's people found. And he goes, oh, well, hey, we got a guy back in town in Zarahemla, Mosiah. He can translate. Why? Because he has interpreters. Where in the Book of Mormon do we find? This was one of B.H. Roberts' big questions. Where did Mosiah get his interpreters from? Well, he must have got them from King Benjamin. Where did King Benjamin get them from? Mosiah the first. Okay. Oh. Oh. We haven't even lost the document. Okay. We got... Okay. Questions on that? Or do we go on a side trip? I think it's fascinating. But, okay. Martin Harrison manuscript lost. Now, I need you to... Uh, this is where Martin Harris runs aground a bit. But I need you to have a little sympathy for Martin Harris. So this is, this is we kind of understand Martin Harris a little bit better through this. Martin Harris has now done what? He went to New York, 
He runs all over New York. He comes back. He says to Joseph, uh, good news and bad news. <laughs> Uh, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> they say they can't read it. Uh, number two, it's not Indian. It's Reformed Egyptian. Oh. Number three, I think you're the translator. <laughs> that could be good news or bad news, but you're going to have to do it. It's going to be you. Okay, so they start. So they began doing this translation process from, we think, early April, about the first week of April, to the middle of June. June actually, June, we, can, we can mark it. It's June 14th that, uh, that Martin Harris will go back to Palmyra. Why? Well, there's reasons. For Martin, he missed the planting season. April to June. We know from the, rec the weather records from that year that it, this was a very early spring, warm spring, and the planting season in Palmyra that was primarily wheat. And if you've been to Martin Harris's farm, it is this rolling, beautiful, it was about wheat. And, and, and it started early, about April. Martin Harris is in harmony the entire planting season. And he misses the planting season. But wait, there's more. He missed his daughter's wedding. <laughs> that was in early May. He missed his daughter's wedding. <laughs> but wait, there's more. He's on a roll. He's such a guy at this point, right? He's missing all the important stuff. Okay. Lucy Harris is filing in court to legally divide the property in two. That's late May. I think the marriage was the last straw. He hasn't, he hasn't been here for months. He missed, the, he missed daughter's wedding. Um, I'm splitting off my, my dowry, my part of the property, and she files it legally in, in court about May 28th. Okay? I think that, that word all gets to Martin Harris, and, he's kind, and I think he's kind of going, um, maybe I better go. <laughs> uh, by the way, one other little thing that's happening. Uh, he will leave... I don't know if I've got it in here. Yes. Martin leaves for Palmyra the day before Emma gives birth. He will leave on June 14th. She will uh, give birth on the 15th to a uh, stillborn baby. Um, very painful kind of thing. Uh, we think there were some deformities there, according to some anti-Mormon literature. But um, Anyway, he leaves right before that. He, he does the four-day stagecoach ride from Harmony back up to Palmyra, okay, to find out what's going on with Lucy and what can he salvage here. But he doesn't want to go away empty-handed. That would be bad. What does he really want? I haven't just been like, you know, drinking out on the farm down in Harmony. I want proof. And, I, and a couple of pages aren't going to do it. What's he asking for? All of it. Almost 200 pages. Now he takes the manuscript with him under orders, only to show it to, with orders to show it to only five people. We'll talk about in a second uh, how he gets to that point. Um, 
and again, I think, I think number six with Luther Bradish because not only had he shown Luther ahead of time, the characters, now here's the translation of the entire thing, and by the way, you're kind of in the publishing business, maybe you can help with this. I think Martin could have rationalized why it would be okay to break his covenant with God. Okay, he shouldn't have, but I can see what his thinking might have been. Okay. He did show it to one other important person, that's Joseph Smith's words. Now, for years we have believed that what happened is he brings the manuscript home probably about the, by about the third week of June. Uh, the, uh, they lock the manuscript away in a, in a bureau. Uh, by the time that Joseph will show up three weeks later, the manuscript is already gone. It's, it's already been stolen. Uh, for years and years, Martin Harris believed that Lucy had burned the manuscript. And, and somebody had said that they overheard her saying that she had burned the manuscript. But this is like 30 years later. Okay? Uh, Lucy Harris was a devout Quaker. On her deathbed, she said, I didn't steal the manuscript, I didn't destroy the manuscript, I have no idea where the manuscript is. Okay? Now, by the way, if you are holding that manuscript, when, when might you destroy it? You're going to destroy it shortly after that? When do you, when do you might want to bring the manuscript out? Well, he's told not to retranslate it because it hasn't been right. destroyed yet, and they will change things. They will change it. So we, so we know that good chance that the manuscript was intact at least until 1830, when the Book of Mormon comes out, and then they can see the, the difference between it. So there is a belief, there is a hope for those that have spent uh, writing a book, just finished a book on the, the lost pages, uh, that maybe the manuscript still exists. Maybe there's a chance. Don't know, you hope. But there, there's no way to know. Okay? Alright, anyway, it's gone. Now, for Joseph, uh, he's going to go through this, Mother Harris describes pretty well the process, or Mother Harris, uh, Lucy Mac Smith, Describes pretty close the, the process of taking care of Emma. She's devastated with the loss of the baby. He's going to nurse her back to health for about three weeks. Uh, it is a lonely, despondent time. They're both depressed. It's a struggle. And week by week, day by day, they haven't heard anything from Martin Harris. And now it starts to grow. And now we know one other piece to this. And that is somewhere between the time that Joseph then leaves Harmony... Before he leaves Harmony and, he, and goes up to Palmyra, the angel Moroni will show up and take the interpreters back. He'll lose it twice. And this is the first one. He's going to take it back from him right at that moment. Okay. Um, so Joseph has to go up with the knowledge that he no longer has the interpreters and he still does not yet know what's happened, that the manuscript is gone. 
And he's so despondent, Mother Smith talks about him riding that four-day coach, stagecoach ride up to Palmyra being so despondent that a good Samaritan has to walk him from the stagecoach station in Palmyra to the house because Joseph is so depressed and he's not eating and he's just falling apart. And he, and he can't eat or sleep or anything until he finds out from Martin Harris what's happened. Okay. Alright. Now, for Joseph, he lost the interpreters and we think also the plates for pushing Martin to take the manuscript. Uh, lost the for allowing Martin to take the manuscript. So, let, let, me, uh, let me show you something here. This is another source. I'm going to pop up here. This is from uh, Joseph Smith Papers. Okay. Wendy, can you turn out all the lights? The earliest revelation that we have in the Doctrine and Covenants, and this is kind of interesting, a lot of times like in Gospel Doctrine, we will look at the history as a way to look at the Scriptures. We're reversing that. We're going to look at the Scriptures to look at the history. Okay. So this is from the Joseph Smith paper, and this is how it works, guys, is that if you haven't looked at this, you should. Uh, whenever, you, what happens, they will show the original document and the transcript, and then you can compare it with what's actually in the Doctrine and Covenants. So here is, from the book of Revelations, uh, the book of the, um, rev, the, the little book that they were copying down all of Joseph Smith's revelations. I don't know if you can read that. Okay. This is in uh, Peter Whitmer's handwriting. Uh, commandments that the Lord gave unto Joseph the seer and others by the inspiration of God and the gift and power of the Holy Ghost. Okay? Now, so that's the, that's the document. It's the actual document. This is DNC 3, uh, and notice that it's in July 1828. This is, uh, is going to come, and, you, and, and if you're just looking in the papers, you'd go, wow, what's happening in July 1828? Well, another source, if you're trying to f draw on historical stuff, uh, notice that one of the things they've done, you get this historical introduction. Okay. Well, I'm going to click on historical introduction. And this is what we're getting. And it, whoa. Okay. This is the first Joseph Smith revelation for which a text has survived. According to Joseph's history, it was obtained using the Urim and Thummim after Martin Harris lost the earliest Book of Mormon manuscript. Um, now, Facing ongoing opposition from his wife, Harris pressed Joseph Smith to inquire of the Lord. Um, Joseph Smith's history said he inquired of the Lord, said unto me that Harris must not take the manuscript. Through the interpreters, he's told specifically, he must not take the manuscript. Um, after much solicitation from Harris, Joseph Smith inquired of the Lord and was permission was granted to take the writings on certain conditions. Uh, with the manuscript in hand, Emma Smith gives birth 
on June 15th. Uh, shortly after Joseph Smith arrived at the uh, parents' home near Palmyra, he learned that Harris had lost the manuscript. We know that story of Martin Harris dragging his way up to the White House and just ha hat in hand and can't even get himself to go in. And, and they kind of go into a, a funk there. Joseph then returns to Pennsylvania. Joseph Smith history described the historical setting for the revelation. Immediately after my return home to Harmony, I was walking out a little distance when behold, the former messenger, heavenly messenger appeared and handed to me the Urim and Thummim again, for it had been taken from me in consequence of what? Why did Joseph lose the interpreters? <laughs> And it wasn't because this, he lost him the second time because Martin lost the manuscript. The first time, why does he lose it? Because he kept bugging him. Yes. Yes. I was walking out a little distance. The former messenger, Moroni, appears, handed them back, for it had been taken from me in consequence of my having wearied the Lord in asking for the privilege of letting Martin Harris take the records which he lost by transgression. Okay? So, he lost it at first because he, uh, he kept pushing and he kept pushing. Okay? How much time we got? No, oh, 10 minutes. It says lost by transgression, not sin. Yes, it was, that, that's good catch. Uh, now, let me hop out of here. So, anyway, that's, the, this kind of historical background behind these is just so much more complete, uh, and it's just terrific, just available to us. Okay, so I'm going to hop out of here. Go with me one more place. We're going to go to the scriptures. Let's look at what actually ended up in the Doctrine and Covenants 3. So here's DNC 3. And this is what was dictated in July 1828. Joseph is going to be out in the woods. He now gets the interpreters back. He goes. He wouldn't sit down in the moment and write down what's coming to him. So he's going to sit down. He's going to dictate through the seer stones this revelation when he gets back to the house. Now. Verse 5. Joseph, you have been entrusted with these things, but how strict were your commandments, and remember the promises made unto you. Here was Joseph's big sin, I think. I think it was the thing he struggles with, and this ought to land home for the rest of, the, of us. Yeah, thanks, Wendy. Um, Joseph's biggest struggle, he puts right here, uh, verse 6, And behold, how oft have you transgressed the commandments and laws of God, and done what? Gone off in the persuasions of men. Here is a boy. Martin Harris is like tw 20 years his senior. Oliver Cowdery is a couple of years older, but smarter. <laughs> Emma's smarter. Joseph Knight Sr. is the age of his dad. You know, Josiah Stoll. I mean, everybody's older and wiser, and, and he's just a boy, and he's trying to put this together. Do you think he might be tempted to kind of be persuaded by older, smarter people? Sure. Yeah. And the Lord keeps trying to say to him, Joseph, you don't get it. You're the prophet. <laughs> 
Well, I don't know. I'm not seeing my... I'm still trying to find somebody to translate the Indian records. He goes, no, how, how oft have you transgressed, transgressed the commandments and laws of God, gone on the persuasions of man? Seven, you should have not feared man more than God, be, although men said it not the counsels of God and despise his words, yet you should have been faithful. And God would have been with you in every time of trouble. Remember, God is merciful, thou art still chosen, and are called again to the work. Okay? Now, this I find is fascinating. I won't take time to... Well, I, I put it in here. Verse 14. Uh, and this is the reason that thou hast lost thy privileges for a season. Shortly after this, the Lord will then take back the plates and the interpreters again. He won't get it back until September. This is July. It'll be another couple of months. Um, this is the reason thou hast lost thy privileges for a season. For, verse 15, thou hast suffered the counsel of thy director. Now, it, it's, it's, I find it fascinating that if you click on this in, the, in our scriptures, what comes up is under uh, the director, the Lord. <laughs> So the doctrine, the, the, when they're putting this in, in, in uh, uh, 1981, they're putting this together, they said, oh yeah, that means the director is the Lord. <laughs> sort of. In the, in the original, if we, if we went back to the Joseph Smith Project and you could see the document, it doesn't say director. It says directors. So let me say this differently. This is the reason thou hast lost thy privileges for a season. Thou hast suffered the counsel uh, of the seer stones to be trampled from the beginning. Now, truth be to he is receiving it from the Lord. So there is a sense in which, yes, he's receiving it from the Lord. But when we're talking about director or directors, we're talking about the interpreters. Okay? Now... This is why, so you received counsel through the directors and you trampled them from the beginning. Nevertheless, my work will go forth um, and we're going to learn all about these very things, okay? Now, yeah? What an amazing example for us of how we think we have, we have a problem. There you go. We think we know how it has to be answered. Yeah. Heavenly Father has his own plan. Yes. And in this case with Joseph Smith, there was some consequences as a result. Because, th th think your way through this. We've got about five minutes. So let me just, just let this distill upon your brain during the week. <laughs> I want you to picture that, that Martin Harris says, uh, things are falling apart in Palmyra. Can I take, can I take the manuscript? He goes to the directors, which means, and I think this is important, which means he probably didn't just have an impression, no. He probably saw, no, on the seer stones, no. Please, 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 this is really bad and Lucy's driving me crazy and I'm losing the farm and thing. Lord, please, no. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm dying here. I gotta have, okay, I'll go back. Please, he says. Can I, can I, can I? And then he says, okay, if you only, yes. 
but you will show it to just five people only. Now, fascinating to me that does the Lord know that Martin Harris will break the covenant? Yes. yes. Has the Lord provided a way to overcome the fact that Martin Harris will break the covenant? Yes. Where is the thing that the Lord has prepared to overcome the covenant that Joseph Smith is about to break? It's in the box next to them. <laughs> the small plates that were that were put in there by Moro by Moroni. That ah, was supposed to include this thing. Oh well, okay. Because down the road, this guy's going to be asking, and I will give him what he wants, and it'll blow up on us. So maybe since the Lord and Moroni knew that it was already in the records, maybe Moroni took the, rest of the manuscript <laughs> to make Joseph sweat again. Yeah, let me work on that one. <laughs> you know what's scary about that is how plausible it is. <laughs> well, if, if he can move, if I can move the plates, I can I can take the I can take the manuscripts. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, so I just think it's fascinating that that the Lord had already prepared. But in a sense, Joseph is being... Um, that there are consequences. I don't want to use the word punished or disciplined. But there are consequences as a result of asking the Lord, even though the Lord is giving him what he wants, giving him what he asked for, there's still consequences that come from getting, that the Lord granting our wishes. Now, to me, try and wrap your head around that one when you have repeatedly petitioned the Lord over and over and over for something, and maybe you got an answer. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say the Lord's going to punish, going to give us what we want and then punish us for it. When it, I think in Joseph Smith's case, it was much clearer on the seer stone. No. But it is interesting that the Lord gave him what he wanted, and then there were consequences because he got what he wanted. Yeah. He's not, I mean, if you want to say he wasn't being punished, he was being taught. He was being taught how to rely on that. But isn't but that ta that totting <laughs> required that twice he would lose the plates and and the manuscript. Do you know at one point during that during that break from July to September, do you know he he is do you know he goes and attends a Methodist Sunday school class? Wow. He's so despondent, he doesn't know if he's lost the whole project. And he was still kind of like something, so he's kind of lost, so he goes and attends a, a Methodist Sunday School class, uh, and they go, no, we're not really comfortable with money diggers, and they kick him out. <laughs> well, there's always, a, there's always a consequence for any action. So if you yes. get an answer you don't like, and then you go ahead and do your way anyway, which is pretty much what happened here. Yeah. Um, there's going to be consequences for that. There are consequences. Even if we get what we want. Even if, Even if we get what we were asking for. Especially when we get Yes. Yeah, and I think that's, that's kind of the point. When we have hard answers and we don't want to do it and we're going, 
two out of three. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's try again here, shall we? Uh, that there are going to be consequences, in this case negative ones, but isn't it interesting that even if there are, if we take the Joseph Smith example or the Martin Harris scenario, the Lord's also provided a way for our escape. That he knows ultimately what he wants to have happen and his purposes will not be frustrated. So, all right. We're out of time. Fun stuff, huh? All right. Um, we will pick up next week when we start... We're, start, we're going to start off next week uh, with uh, Martin Harris being gone for about eight months from Harmony. Then he shows up to say, um, my wife is filing suit against you in court because she claims you don't have the plates. Um, what do we do? And I need a witness. And, and so one of the things that you might want to do is, is start with, uh, in your study, start with DNC 5. Uh, if you want some fun, go to DNC 5, the Joseph Smith Papers Project. Read the historical thing behind 5. This is really fascinating. And it's the setup for Oliver Cowdery to begin the translation process. It, it really is the, the footing for this, okay? Um, Thank you for being here. Uh, like I say, there's just so much, and uh, I don't want to bog down with too many details, but the miracles are in every corner of our history here, and I think it's so valuable to know this. Um, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. I kind of in a general thought. I was so grateful to have the opportunity to come here together as brothers and sisters and to learn more of uh, the gospel. Uh, we're grateful to um, experience uh, the uh, transformation of Joseph and pray that 